As we begin this morning, let me remind you that we have seen a progression of events that have led us to this point in John chapter 7, where Jesus has been in the Galilee region of Capernaum and Nazareth, his hometown, uh, ministering to people and executing signs and wonders. And in chapter 6, at the end of that chapter, after hearing his teaching on the absolute sovereignty of God over all things, that's sort of the collective way we could put it, a number of the people who'd been following him fell away. They said, nope, we can't handle this teaching. We're done. We're not following you anymore. The apostles, of course, Peter speaking up for them, said, you are the son of the living God. We have nowhere else to go. Now, at the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus' brothers have encouraged him, who, by the way, as we learned, his brothers didn't believe in him, at least not at that point. The great feast of tabernacles was taking place in Jerusalem, so they encouraged him to go down to Jerusalem, or go up to Jerusalem, I should say, and there interact with the leaders and the people and execute his signs and wonders so people would see and believe. We know from what we studied, Jesus did not go, at least not at that point, but he did go. And we know that the Jews were planning to kill him. The leaders of the Jews, they were plotting and had been for some time to get rid of this troublemaker. He was questioning too many of their beliefs. And as we have heard now, they made an effort to arrest him. They sent the temple police officers. That's what it, the text refers to. There's the officers. And this drama has unfolded as we read it. The title of today's message, The Dividing Line. You know, we all have our differences of opinion about things ranging from differences regarding sports or types of food or entertainment. And we find that when it comes to matters like politics and entertainment, wherever there is a human opinion to be expressed, there is division. There's difference. But of all the things that human beings have disagreed and differed about, of all the issues and all the ideas, nothing has so divided humanity and human beings than this man Jesus from Nazareth. Now, of all the verses in this long passage from John chapter 7, I'd ask you to look again, based on what I'm saying here, at verse 43. So there was a division among the people over him. These are the people, the Jews who are in Jerusalem for this Feast of Tabernacles. We see here that for all of the good that Jesus did while he walked this earth, for all of the sick people that had been healed by him, the hungry mouths that had been fed, the great truths that he taught, he was the cause of division and discord among those people. And that remains so today. See, you can group together the influences of the greatest kings who've ever reigned, the greatest warriors who've ever fought, the greatest masters of art and science and philosophy and literature, and none of those have affected the lives of so many and to such an extent as Jesus the Christ of Nazareth. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, has changed the course of the world's history. Entire nations have given themselves over to him. Millions of people call themselves by his name. And he occupies the highest place in the esteem and affection of multitudes of people. And for his sake, many have lived as no others have lived and were either able or willing to live. And for his sake, many have died as none others could or would have died. On the other hand, there is an equal proportion 
the unbelief, the hatred, and the contempt that others have had toward this man, Jesus of Nazareth. To this very day, many Jews curse the name of Christ, and atheists and agnostics brand him as a fake and a fraud. Now, you and I would have no disagreement at all that the Lord is worthy of our love and affection and obedience, but there are others who regard him with nothing but passionate hate and disdain. The reality is that perhaps the devil himself cannot be more bitterly hostile to the cause of Christ as some people are in our day and time. Of course, we know it's the Satan who motivates them. So we see from these verses then that as now the greatest division in the world is because of this man. So I want to draw your attention here in the word of God as we find it in these verses 25 through 53. And I want you to consider the following things. There are a number of points I'm going to share with you. The first is this. There was a division among those who did not follow Jesus. There were some in that crowd in Jerusalem who would accept nothing that Jesus said, and they viewed him from beginning to end, from start to finish, as just a fake. And they viewed anyone who followed him as a fool and an uneducated idiot. That was their attitude. And we see this reflected in this text. But there were some who were willing to admit some of what Jesus said, and there were others who admitted his claims to be the Messiah, but they simply did not care to follow through on the consequences of making that kind of commitment or admission. Some of those people wondered whether or not the rulers of the Jews, the leaders in Palestine, be they Roman or Jewish for that matter, they wondered if some of them had come to believe in Jesus because to their eyes, I mean the common people, the people in and around, they see Jesus freely walking around and teaching and nobody, at least at that point, was trying to stop him. They didn't realize the conspiracy that was being plotted against Jesus. Some of those people listened and they came to believe that he was the great prophet that Moses had spoken of. Some said he was, in fact, the Messiah. And some, upon hearing his words, were moved to proclaim, as you heard a moment ago, and we're going to come back to this statement, no one has spoken as this man has spoken. And we learn here in verse 31 that a few of those unbelievers began to listen to him with a sincere heart, and they believed. You know, uh, you and I look around the world today at the Christian faith and all of its manifestations, and we realize there really is too much division among the true followers of Jesus. But we do not often take notice of the fact that there is as much or more division among those who reject Christ as those who accept him. And our passage today shows us that this has been the case from the earliest days of the ministry of Christ Jesus. And so then the second thing that I want you to think about here is this division between those who say they believe in him or halfway believe in him. Since the beginning of the Gospel of John, we have either seen this firsthand or John has gone to some length to spell it out to us. He came to his own, this is John chapter 1, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And notice that, let me just stop here as I've done before, his own people. Here at the beginning of John, or there at the beginning of John, he's talking about the Jews as a people. And he is saying, now John is saying, that his own people did not believe in him. But 
And this is where we see the beginning of this division and the changing of the focus and the meaning of what it means to be a true Israelite. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And in John 7, we have seen that some truly believed in Jesus while others did not. Back in chapter 6, as I said a moment ago, some fell away and would follow him no more, while others... They could not even think about not following him. So in our day, so many, many centuries and millennia removed from the times in which Jesus lived, there is still a division between those who follow Jesus and those who do not. And I want to suggest to you several ways in particular in which that division between believer and non-believer is seen, or these ways are seen. First of all, there's the, the division of opinion. Now, we have already noted that just in that crowd alone, there's a diversity of opinion about who Jesus is. But the division there pales into insignificance when you consider the division between the believer and the non-believer. Because whatever the shades of diversity of opinion among non-believers about who they think Jesus was or is, the fact is none of them believe him to be who he claimed to be. Those who do follow Jesus do believe his testimony. We believe him when he says, as recorded in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the, me, unto me, unto the Father but by me. But it is not just in our differing opinions about Jesus that these divisions appear. We see this division when any opinion is expressed by believer and non-believer. The true follower of Jesus grounds all of his opinions on the truth of God's word. The non-believer's opinions are based on man's word. So maybe, um, okay, let's take a big ticket issue like morality. The non-believer says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm for abortion. I'm, I'm pro-abortion. The believer says, no, I, that abortion is wrong. I'm pro-life. But yeah, what I'm saying to you is that even among people who say, maybe you've got two, both people, two people who say they're pro-life and they're against abortion. One's a dedicated believer, Bible-believing Christian. The other one maybe claims to be an agnostic. But they both are pro-life. But they still are not expressing a common opinion because the non-believer, whatever the motivations for his pro-life statement, and we're grateful for it, but it is not grounded in God's divine revelation and moral absolute truth. And there is a division. But then secondly, we see that there's a division in the area of trust. The non-believers trust is not in Jesus. They may be trusting in science or medicine or philosophy or whatever. They may be trusting in some other religion like Hinduism or Buddhism. But they have no trust whatsoever in the message of Christ as given in Scripture. So there are many people who do not trust God and in placing their trust elsewhere... They walk the path of destroying themselves. And that leads to the third area of division between believer and non-believer. And that is the division with having to do with love. See, you can learn a great deal about a person's commitments and their worldview by examining the people and the things for which they have affection. You can learn as much or more by how they understand even the very word love. The believer in Christ focuses all his love on Christ first, and because of the priority of that love, they can truly love others and themselves. Another way of saying that is that for us who are in the covenant 
of Almighty God, our definition of love is defined first and foremost and only by what God's divine word, his law, says is love. We don't need Oprah Winfrey. Uh, we don't need uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, we don't need the, the mouthpieces of modern humanistic decadent society to tell us what, quote, love is. God's word defines what love is. Now, unfortunately, some Christians have the idea that if, uh, you, you, if you are really a follower of Jesus, well, then you can't really love the things of the world. Now, I want to be cautious about this because you know, there's a way that this needs to be clearly understood. Here's what I'm saying. People who think this way, they swear off all manner of innocent entertainments and amusements. But you see, the word of God never tells us that we may not enjoy this world that he created. But it does tell us that we are not to make an idol of it and to love it more than we love the one who created it. And that is precisely where we see the division between the believer and the non-believer. The atheist, the non-believer, the anti-Christian, they idolize this world and its pleasures. They have all of their affections and hopes and desires focused on sinful pleasures, self-serving goals, and lifeless objects. There's yet another division that we see here, and it's the area of obedience. The division of obedience between the believer and the non-believer. If you want to know something about a person's outlook on life, you just take a long, hard look at who or what they obey in life. Now, the non-believer may have a variety of things, uh, you ever wonder why some people have a character and a lifestyle that is wholesome and exalting, while others have little or no character at all? Do you ever wonder why some folks have language that is gutter, filth, discussion, and talk, while others speak only in terms of politeness and courtesy and good manners? Well, it's because one obeys a different authority, a different God, if you will, than the other. And what they believe is fully reflected in how they speak and act and live. And then fifthly is the division regarding good and evil. And this is a big one, isn't it? Look again at verses 44 to 52. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then, and as I said when we read this earlier, the officers here, these are the temple police, the, the security uh, of, of the, the Jewish leaders. Some of them came to the chief priest. Now, these are the big shots. These are the, these are the elites, the people who run everything, who sent them to do this. And they said to them, why did you not bring him? They're asking these officers, why didn't you bring him to us like we told you to? The officers answered, uh, nobody has ever spoken like this man. Now, notice the Pharisees' response in verse 47. Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? The crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who was one of them, said to them, so Nicodemus, this is the same guy we met back in John chapter 3. He's a part of the council. He's a Pharisee. He says to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So the essence of evil is that it claims to be the true good, and it calls the good evil, just like these Jews were doing. The whole moral order 
God's law is turned upside down. It's reversed. The hatred of God and biblical law and the people of God, that is the line of division between the godly man and the ungodly. So to sort of encapsulize this in a few final points, what is happening here is this. First of all, these officers who were sent to arrest Jesus, as as we read, they, they return to the chief priests and the Pharisees, to these elite rulers, and they report that, in essence, this man is no transgressor. No man has ever talked like this. In other words, nobody that we've ever been sent to arrest has had this kind of character and this kind of talk. He, 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 we have never heard such incomparable wisdom from any human being before. And for that, they were hated and reviled. Notice the unity between the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You know, most of the time, from what we know in the gospel accounts and from historical records, those groups of people were at odds with each other. But here they are quite united in their hatred of Jesus. But then another thing we see, and, and again in terms of summarizing all of this, is that those men, these Pharisees, these leaders, these elite types, they are holding to a standard that is radically humanistic. Look again at verse 48. They ask, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? So in other words, they're saying, we, the elite rulers of the nation, we self-appointed know-it-alls, we are against Jesus. How dare you officers have another opinion? We certainly see the same thing today, don't we? Our governing elites totally reject the claims of God's law word, and they look with total contempt on all people who live by that law. And then another thing we see here is that these leaders recognize that the people, the masses of people, they largely believed Jesus. And in essence, what they've said, as given in verse 49, I'm reading a different translation, this rabble, this mob knows nothing about the law. They are damned. They are accursed. So the the leaders whom the people look to for guidance, they look upon the people as fools and to quote, one of our modern political hacks, they're deplorables. And maybe, maybe here we need to just stop and admit something to ourselves. Let's admit to ourselves that over the past three years in particular, those among our political leaders who have spoken the loudest about protecting us and protecting democracy and keeping us safe and all the rest of it, they're the ones who've shown the most contempt for those who have elected them. Do I need to spell that out for you? Well, in case I do, how about uh, in 2020 and 2021 when we, most of us, were told that by force of arms we had to stay in our homes, we could not go to church, and all that kind of stuff, while the leaders and one of the governors of the states where that was the most notorious was out partying and having $400 a plate meals at fancy restaurants. That's typical. You had the same thing back in Jesus' day, and it continues today. Because evil has a continuity to it, as does good. Then we see that Nicodemus spoke out against what those men, these leaders of the Pharisees, were doing. He wanted to know how, as the rulers and judges of the people, how can they condemn any man without having a hearing? Biblical law does not even allow passing a sentence when a confession has been made without corroboration, without supporting evidence, that's God's law. 
But then, fifthly, the people here, as we just read in verse 49, they, they are referred to by these leaders as being accursed or damned. So, in reality, what the Jews were doing, or they were excommunicating the whole nation without going through the legal process. That's what you say when someone has been excommunicated. Let them be damned. Let them be accursed. Their attitude was, all of you, obey us or be damned. And even if the people followed them. See, this is the, the other part of it. Even if all the people said, yes, we will, we will agree with you. These elites, these rulers, they still regarded the masses as ignorant, stupid fools. And then sixthly, the people are described as ignorant of the law in verse 49. But the fact was that the people largely were very well educated in the law, but it was the Pharisaic additions to that law and the Sadducean beliefs regarding the law, that's what the people did not know and were conversant with. That is the, what became the Talmudic tradition of the rabbis. And this is what is known today as the Judaistic religion, the religion of Judaism. Maybe a good example of how this was working, and you can get the essence of the problem, is that, you know, um, <clears throat> I have some friends who are involved in trying to educate masses of people in our nation about our foundational document, which is the law of the land, supposedly. That is the United States Constitution. And a U.S. citizen may know the U.S. Constitution backwards and sideways and know it extremely well and understand what it says, but they may be completely ignorant or mostly ignorant of the U.S. Supreme Court's reinterpretations of that Constitution. You see the difference? The Constitution is the law of the land. The U.S. Supreme Court, one year says this, the next year, and maybe they don't know that much about what the court has said. But that does not make the people ignorant of the fundamental law of these United States. That's a good example of what was going on here. And then finally, the rulers had challenged the officer, saying, Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? And immediately, Nicodemus challenged their attempts to destroy Jesus as a lawless effort. And in so doing, see, that's the other thing. He not only calls their hand about violating the law by not having a fair trial and hearing testimony about Jesus, He's, he's also upended their thought and their claim that it's only a bunch of ignorant fools who follow Jesus and support him in any way, shape, or form. It's just the commoners who are interested in this man. He's undermined their claims that Jesus had no worthy supporters, in other words. And as a result, they are scornful of Nicodemus. They said, in effect, that anyone who disagreed with them, too bad for you. Are you from Galilee too? Are you a sympathizer? Are you part of this rabble? And notice, please, that all Nicodemus had done was to speak in favor of abiding by the law and having lawful proceedings. He insisted on justice and not a lynch mob. And the Jews refused to admit that Nicodemus was right. They chose instead to interpret his remarks as a defense of Jesus, all because he simply insisted on a just procedure. And so we see here portrayed in clear, stark relief, evil. Evil at its most sanctimonious. Dr. Rush Dooney wisely wrote these words, and I quote him, Our inability to confront evil often begins with ourselves. If we fail to appreciate our own sinful dispositions, 
we will hardly be able to recognize the dimensions of sin in the world around us, end quote. See, too many people faced with evil. They simply hide their faces and they, they duck and cover and they just give up. And the, the awareness and the knowledge that there's so much pervasive wickedness and evil among our leaders in particular is too much for them. This is a horrifying thing to realize because it makes very clear the enormity of what God-fearing people are up against. As it was in that day, so it is in this. But the fact is, evil can only be thwarted by the power of God Almighty. Evil cannot accomplish more than what God allows or permits. You know, friends, um, each Lord's Day, it is our custom, based on the timeless tradition of the Christian church from the beginning that we repeat what has come to be called the Lord's Prayer. And part of that prayer, and you can find this in Matthew 6.13, it reads, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So in other words, one of the implications of that is that we are not to concentrate on evil. We pray to be delivered from it and overcome it. But you see, concentrating on evil, toying and messing around with evil, that is the corrupt passion of fallen humanity, and especially in modern times, to, to be fascinated by and to be drawn to evil. And if you doubt that, well, you just take a casual look at your choices for movies and entertainment these days on TV and Netflix and all the rest of it. No, God's Word declares that we are to pray for deliverance from evil. We are not to play with it. We are not to be its victims, but we are to be its overcomers, its conquerors. We heard in our Older Testament reading earlier from Ezekiel 47 how in the vision of the prophet of the coming of the kingdom, in the, in the new temple of the Messianic era, a river, river will issue forth and it will enliven and give life and healing to all that it touches. We saw that in verse 9 of Ezekiel 47. That stream of water of life, according to the vision and according to the declarations of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that river will grow larger and wider, and it will create a new world, a restored world. And that new creation, it began with our Lord and Savior's resurrection and ascension, and it continues with yours and my and everyone else's regeneration who are elect and born again. As the life of the faithful continues, and as, and as the people of this new creation increase and succeed in their service to God Almighty, so too the rivers of the water of life nourish the entire earth. That's the vision given to Ezekiel. And this is the mission of Christ Jesus. And he began to preach the message of the kingdom when he began his ministry. That's what the Gospels tell us. And this is the message of the kingdom. As recorded in Revelation chapter 10, I believe it is, the kingdoms of this world have become, not will become, are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We are repeatedly told of that victory in the scriptures. The triumph of the faith, my friends, rests upon the people of faith. And before that victory is accomplished, however, as believers, we and our children and theirs after them, we must see that we are not the end of God's purpose, but we are a means whereby God's kingdom becomes realized on this earth. Let us pray.